live and pre-recorded. This is the Red Ticket Blues Podcast. I am Brian Buckley, and this is hitting the internet on the 27th of July, 2017. This is like the seventh time I've tried to do this. If you're new to the podcast, or if you're not, you can continue or start listening on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you can find podcasts that you will find this podcast. I can guarantee you that. I don't guarantee that. Remember to uh, follow me on Twitter, BrianBuck13, Red Ticket Blues. So, we have a guest this episode, and that is Mr. Brian Kenny of the MLB Network. And we talk a little bit about his book, Ahead of the Curve. A lot of sabermetric talk. I know some of you are thinking, ah, I'm not into it. It's, save that to the nerds. Save that to everyone else. I don't want to hear that crap. Just, just, I think you listen to this. You might be interested in it, and you might be interested in getting his book because I'll tell you, I'm not a huge sabermetrics guy, but I'm slowly converting. They passed the collection plate around. I'm thinking about putting money in. It's, it's getting closer. So uh, enough of me rambling on about what is in the podcast. In the interview, let's listen. He is a host on the MLB Network and author of Ahead of the Curve, Inside Baseball's Revolution. Brian Kenny, how are you doing today? Good, Brian. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Uh, be- before we get into everything, before we get into who you are and what you're all about, I have to take I have to take umbrage with uh, one of your tweets recently. And uh, <laughs> okay, I-, I don't mean to you know I don't mean to go all Frank Frank Costanza on you here, but uh, you know what the hell were you thinking when a few weeks ago you tweeted that Major League Two was better than Major League One? Uh, I- I'm I'm surprised you weren't suspended from Twitter for that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I got a lot of flack for that, as you should um, have. And yeah, no, you know what? I've 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 thought this through. Because and it actually almost got into the book, but then the book, you know, got got longer and bigger, and it was, you know, more baseball centric, and this was just good, clean fun. But I, Major League One was all about everybody gets into the minors and or gets into the majors, and they have to deal with success, right? Like their dreams are coming right. true. But what happens when your dreams do come true? What happens when you actually do it? And then, like, then dealing with success, uh, that was Major League Two. You know, Major League Two was, I thought, funnier, tighter, and a lot of the Ugh. funny lines that we all think are Major League One are actually Major League Two. Uh, you know, the only, the only, I'm not going to buy that, but uh, I will, uh, I'll, I'll tell you this, <laughs> there is part of that, the, you know, the, the ending of Major League One, they didn't win the World Series, you know, they just won this, you know, one game playoff with, with the Indians, and mm-hmm. it, I mean, excuse me, against the Yankees, and it just really didn't have a lot of finality to it, so I will give you that, that, you know, life does go on, but... Yeah, you're a man on your own on that one. But um, a few months ago, let's get into uh, sabermetrics here. A few months ago, I had former pitcher Tanyan Sturtz on the podcast. And I asked, mm-hmm. I asked him about sabermetrics. And, you know, it was a long-winded answer. But th- this was a, a little relevant soundbite I wanted to play for you here. So to speak, I think it's completely ruined the game. I think it's, I think it's given an outlet for these guys that have never played the game before that, are, that can crunch numbers. It's given them a spot in the game. I, I can't stand it. it. Drives me crazy. I don't even know half the stuff that Brian Kenny talks about. I have no idea what he's even saying. So there you go, Tanyan Sturtz, <laughs> completely calling you out by name. Um, yes, I know. I know Tanyan is retired, but since I mean it hasn't been that long ago, so I'll I'll lump him in with active players. You know, ballpark percentage here. How many current guys playing actually accept or care about sabermetrics? Oh, I think the acceptance level for the current player is very high. Uh, like the, where sabermetrics uh, is right now is really at the field level as far as looking at very scouty things, you know, the stat cast things, looking at exit velocity, spin rate, which is just really, you know, how hard are you hitting the ball and your stuff. 
and things like that. And these guys look at video. They look at heat maps. Where, where is this guy good? Where is he weak? What's his hole? Where's the hole in his swing? Uh, what's the pitcher's repertoire? What does he throw? What's his pattern? So players now, whether or not they think they're sabermetric, they are sabermetric. And I would say the acceptance level, I mean, it's like, 85%. Really? I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, oh, absolutely. I mean, even if, no matter who you are, I'm not, there might be a few guys who just grip it and rip it, right? Who don't even want to know, like, what sequence the guy throws pitches in or when he's losing his stuff or things like that. Maybe there's a few guys like that. But most people, like, you know, led by Joey Votto, they really study it. They want to know their opponents. And the way you know your opponents is to get information. I, I got to ask you this. You just mentioned it. Why should the average fan, uh, and I know it's it, sabermetric isn't all about fans. You know, it's about the executives and putting a team together. But this word, this phrase, this this statistic is being sort of shoved down our throats lately, and that's exit velocity. Why why does that matter? Well, how, how hard does the guy hit the ball? That's all. I mean, that, we we do want to know that. Now there's a way of measuring it. And look, you can watch baseball and enjoy it without getting into the numbers. You can. We always did. Even when I was right. a kid, um, I cared about numbers, batting average, home runs, RBIs. We all, we, uh, you know, truth be told, we all care about the numbers, whether we know it or not. It's just the numbers we grew up with that we were used to it. So we could say that, hey, this guy went 0 for 4 in this game, but he really hit the ball hard four times. He just hit it on the screws. It just found a glove. One went to the wall. You know, one was, you know, a, a smoked ball right at the shortstop. Um, if you can see a guy doing that on a regular basis, uh, especially say you have a prospect, a high school kid or a minor league kid, it's much more valuable to know how hard is he hitting the ball rather than how many fell into the field that didn't get caught. You know, I mean, that's the actual skill of the player. And maybe a guy's batting average or his on base or his slugging is fairly misleading depending on the level of competition. But if a guy is re- if guys, a kid's in high school regularly hitting the ball 100 miles an hour, well, I don't care what he's hitting. He hits the ball very well. Okay. All right. Uh, we're talking about current players, and you say 85, 80% except, uh, except sabermetrics. Currently, right now, as we're recording this on July 25th, the team with the second best winning percentage of baseball is the Houston Astros with 66 wins. In your book, you predicted in 2013 the Astros would win 90 games in a season the next five years, and people thought you were nuts. You were crazy. Do your, stro- do your shoulders and your hips hurt from when you strut down Fifth Avenue at this point? Because it looks like it's going to happen. <laughs> Hey, I'm patting myself on the back. Oh, yes, it does. I could strain. I could strain myself. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, it is important to like note the time and place and what people thought. Now people get used. to, Oh, yeah, the Astros have been good. They, no, the Astros were terrible, and they did a complete teardown. And the reason I focused on them was I had belief in their management because they they went into it unabashed, saying they were going to make data driven decisions. Now, that doesn't mean everything is, you know, right from a a spreadsheet and nothing is happening on the field, but they were going to do things differently. They didn't care who knew it. Uh, They hired a guy that they had a title for called Director of Decision Sciences. Pretty geeky, especially in Major League (laughs) Baseball. But I admired their chutzpah in actually calling it that because they could have called it something else. In fact, in the book, I asked Billy Bean, you know, hey, you know, what about that they just put it out there? He said, yeah, I admire that they just put it out there. He goes, we have a guy who kind of does the same thing, but and so do a lot of clubs, but they, we cloak it. Now think about that, cloak it, cloak it in a different term. So I don't know, I guess the big kids don't beat us up on the playground. You know, this is what it goes back to. You know, oh, I don't want to put a target on my back saying I'm the smart guy, but that's what we've been dealing with with baseball. The Astros just said it and they did it and now they're backing it up. 
So the, obviously, the app, as you just said, and as you said in the book, which I will say, not just because you're a guest on the podcast, I I really enjoyed the book, and I, I got the book, and I, I looked at it, and I go, I don't think I'm going to like this. There's going to be way too many numbers, and I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to not not that I need a calculator or anything, but you know, it's just going to be something where I'm not enjoying the the actual content and more focusing on numbers. But I will say this: anyone who's even uneasy about sabermetrics, it is a very good book. Uh, the, the Astros embraced sabermetrics. Give, give us a, a brief journey into uh, Brian Kenny's sabermetrics. I mean, was it, how did it happen? Was it, was it one of those light bulb moments or did it advance from like that quirky little antidote side info to like the tenants of the Kenny kingdom? <laughs> well, it, it, I always loved baseball. Uh, followed it, read about it. I love the history of baseball. As I write in the book, I was like anybody else. Uh, when you got the Sunday paper, that's when you got all the stats, and you could see that Roy White was hitting 290, or Bobby Mercer was hitting 330, or who led the league in RBIs. So me and my friends, you know, we all love baseball. We all love the numbers. I was a little more hardcore than most. Uh, I loved getting the Yankee yearbook and reading about their history. So it really was just another avenue for me to read about things that were deemed important in my society. Um, and baseball is great. I played baseball. I loved it. And now as I became a sportscaster, and I, w- I initially was going to be a reporter. I didn't think I was going to go into sports. I just happened to go into it because there was a job open, and I figured I would take it, and I was terrible on air. Um, and I figured if I go sit at the anchor desk, maybe I'll get good at it. Let me interrupt you and for one second. I, you did, you did yeah. have an actual different career path. I don't want to give away too much in the book, but before you went into the, the world of media, I mean, you had a different avenue that you, you were looking at, correct? Oh, yeah. Listen, I, was, I needed to get work. My father was a New York City detective. Uh, a New York cop, you know, came off the boat from Ireland, Charlie Kenny. And, you know, I'm there in, in Levittown, Long Island, and I'm, I'm in college, but most of my friends aren't getting jobs out of college. You just go and get work. Um, so I, I really I took all the police tests. I was a store detective at Sears. Uh, going to college at the same time, and I, w- I took all the tests. In fact, I-, I took the physical, psychological, everything, Nassau County PD, only to the very end when I realized, okay, I'm now making $18,000 a year as a <laughs> sportscaster in upstate New York. I figured, oh, no, I'm- I've got it made now. So I didn't become a cop. But I was, if I couldn't, if it wasn't going to work out in TV, which, again, in the 80s, there were fewer jobs. I know there's no jobs now, but there are more now than there were in the right, 80s. Right. I, was- I was definitely going to become a cop. Uh, so you, you took those, uh, th- that sabermetric info and I mean, you basically got it from and where everyone gets it from is, is, you know, the godfather and that's Bill James and he's, he's instrumental in ed- ending the Red Sox curse. But to me, honestly, he, he still doesn't, you know, he gets the reputation of that like odd scientist looking in from the outside. Does Bill James get enough credit in 2017 or is he still like that weird thing that we haven't fully accepted in baseball? Well, yes, I, yes and no. I think you're right, though. One of the things that I wrote in the book was that he can't possibly get enough credit, and he's opened so many minds by teaching people how to think, not just how to think about baseball, but at least just to question things. And I think in our regular society, with very few exceptions, we're not taught to think critically. As I wrote, you know, I mean, growing up where I did on Long Island, you were, you were taught to shut up and do your job. <laughs> that was basically it. Now, you don't question someone. Who the hell are you to question your teacher or anyone else? So I, you know, I always thought, no, I, I don't get this. I like to think independently. And it really did help my thought process when I was, you know, again, covering baseball when I did become a sportscaster. And I'm using, you know, you're always doing highlights. You're always uh, put, talking baseball on the air. And so I would start examining it myself. I wouldn't just take the word 
of a former baseball player just because he was, you know, large and could throw a ball very hard. I was judging him on his information. So I would question him. And, you know, one thing kept leading to another until I became that guy on TV, the one who was citing all these different sources. I didn't expect people to be angry about it. And that is a big part of the book. Why are we as human beings so angry when we get new and better information? Uh, I'm a slow converter to sabermetrics. Uh, I'm 36 years Why? old. Why? I, okay, Why? okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold Why? on. Relax, relax. What's going on? I am 36 <laughs> years old. <laughs> it's like one of these brainless debate shows here. You know, you beat Stephen A. and Skip, and you, Jesus Christ. Um, but in ahead of the curve, uh, I, I read stuff, and it started making sense to me. Even like the most simplistic stuff. I mean, you know, you look at high school. Uh, you know, the the, the 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 head cheerleader. She doesn't date the guy who has the most walks on the team. You know what I mean? She goes for the guys that <laughs> does the power numbers. So I'm I'm looking at games more now. And again, it's extremely simplistic when it comes to walks, things like that. But what what are some things? And you talk about a lot of them in Ahead of the Curve inside Baseball's Revolution. What are some things? If if I would say to you right now, I think sabermetrics is stupid, and I don't believe in any of it. What are some of the things you try to convert me with? What are some of the avenues you'd go down? Well, I would ask, like, uh, you know, why wouldn't you want more information to defeat your opponent? You know, does beat does winning interest you? If right. winning interests you, you have to know how things work. So you can build a successful team or be a successful player. And uh, there are baseball again, it's um, it's really this, you know, example or metaphor for greater things in this in this world uh, where we're attracted to these shiny objects. You know, we're we're you know, the glittery things get our attention, sexy things, you know, we react emotionally and they stick with us. So the power hitter, yes, gets the cheerleader, but the guy with the 450 on base is the better baseball player and the better hitter and the better offensive player. And learning what really matters in, on the field or then learning what really matters in a business or in a company, like what is actually being done, um, matters. It matters a lot, and it's the difference you know, often between winning and losing. You had a great quote in the book, actually. You started this answer. You had a great quote in the book. that said, if meteorologists got new info, would they keep putting up smiling suns and withhold new age data? I mean, it's, <laughs> it is a great quote because, I mean, we could go back to, you know, the days of like Ron Burgundy where we just throw up a nice sun there and say, yeah, it's beautiful out there. You know, no actual analysis or what's going to happen, things like that. Um, you mentioned closers in the book along with managers, along with overrating saves and wins. But you mentioned closers in the book. And this was years ago. I'm not sure if it was even a prank call. But a caller called Mike Francesa once and asked about bringing your closer in in the early innings. And obviously, Francesa laughed at him and his entire premise. And he was cast into you know the wasteland of Francesa rejections. But you think, <laughs> you think closers... Uh, they, they, they might not be designated to close. We saw Francona use Andrew Miller in the World Series last year, you know, in a plethora of different innings. Will this trend catch on universally? And if so, when will it start to be a thing that all teams do? Well, it is happening now. Right. But even from the beginning of this season, I've seen teams experiment with it. And then everybody's kind of reverting back to their default setting. Again, I cite, this is fascinating to me. I mean, I'm glad it's still happening. If everyone just converted on all these things, Brian, what would I do? What would I have to talk there about? There would be nothing like, to talk about be, in the book. <laughs> right, I'd be like, oh, everyone gets it. Everyone's smart. What am I going to do? All right, so enjoy the game, Three everybody. Pages. Here's the ball game. Enjoy it. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm looking at it, and I cite Billy Martin in 1977. Right. He, he uses 
Sparky Lyle to face George Brett. He, I think he had a one-run lead, two guys on. George Brett is the best hitter in the American League. He's also a left-hander. Sparky Lyle is the best pitcher in the American League. Uh, he's also a left-hander. So Billy Martin brings him in in the fourth inning. Now, you know, talk about bringing in your relief pitcher early, the fourth inning. But why wouldn't he? Best hitter in the league, two guys on, your lead is about to you know, evaporate. You have the best weapon in your bullpen, the best weapon in the league, and he's a left-hander, so he can victimize Brett a little bit more. And what, you know, if you don't bring him in there, you're doing the Royals a favor. And think about that all through baseball. Anytime you have some killer out in the bullpen, right, your best guy, the closer, Kimbrell, Kenley Jansen, or Oldis Chapman, somebody's a big strikeout artist, big, fearsome-looking guy, why are you doing your opponent a favor by sitting him out there like some rare orchid that can only come out in the ninth inning? Unleash that monster. Unleash him at the biggest moments in the game. And as Billy Martin showed us in the 70s, frequently it doesn't come in the ninth. It can come as early as the fourth. Okay, but I'm old Mr. Manager. Uh, I'll tell you, my guy who pitches the ninth, he, he doesn't, his makeup is for the ninth. He can't pitch these other innings. You know, he just, he just doesn't have the fortitude to do that. He, he's more comfortable in the ninth inning. What am I supposed to do, Mr. Kenny? Yeah, you're supposed to look back to the time, probably a few years earlier, when you didn't grant him that status and that special job, and he probably worked, like Aroldis Chapman, the 6th and the 7th and the 8th, and he probably worked two innings a pop, which, by the way, Aroldis Chapman did for Dusty Baker. So all of these guys, yes, if you give any of us a cushy job, we'll take it and we'll defend it to the hilt, but make that guy work. So some teams, executives we already talked about, managers, Billy Martin, they're looking at data that, or did, or maybe I don't even know if Billy Martin actually looked at the data himself or he went on a hunch. I'm not really sure where his mind was, but people are obviously using data or just going in a different direction on the field. Why are so many, maybe not in 2017, but why are some so resistant still to change? Well, that's the fascinating thing is that we all are. That's the thing. It's not just, hey, these guys are dumb. These guys are just former ball players. whatever. This, this, this is human thinking. That's what uh, was fascinating to me about the book is why do people um, fight sabermetrics? Why didn't we shift in 1946 when clearly Ted Williams was bothered by it? You know, why didn't anyone swing for the fences when Babe Ruth was hitting 60 home runs and he was out homering entire teams? Why in 1986 did Larry Bird and the Celtics take, I think, you know, like 12 three-pointers for an entire NBA Finals, when now we can see that the Golden State has taken 90, you know, or 100. Like, it's because we do things that are, we know, and we do things that others around us are doing. We are more animal than we think. Our, it takes a lot of effort for our intellect to overpower our herd mentality, the things that we grew up with, the things that we learned when we were younger, we cling to them very tightly, more tightly than we think, more tightly than we know. And then we then only do things that the rest of the herd finds appropriate, even in the most competitive of arenas like Major League Baseball. Yeah, I basically live my life completely herd mentality, honestly. So maybe I maybe I should start looking at things differently too. So, uh, but you mentioned uh, Ted Williams. I just want to say in your book, Ahead of the Curve, that Ted Williams analysis with Joe DiMaggio, you know, analyzing 1941 is absolutely excellent for anybody who loves, you know, old baseball. Examining that season, which has been done to death, as you mentioned as well, mm, but right. it, it is a great, fresh, new look at that season. Uh, well, I I, I I went into it really thinking that. 
but I was going to find a certain answer and I found a very different answer. That's why like I found that a learning experience and had to rethink the way I thought about that season too. Absolutely. No, I, same way. Some, some of the numbers there are just not even just analyzing against each other, just in general using advanced statistics, looking and say, wow, that is, that's not human. But uh, I, I asked Twitter for questions for you. And we got a few here. So really? the first one is, what does baseball need to do? And I mean, this is this is not my question. So if it sounds silly, then whatever. Uh, what does baseball need to do to stop seeing every guy in the lineup try to hit a home run and not strike out as many times as they are? Yeah, that's a problem. Um, because, you know, what, what human beings react to m- mostly uh, are incentives. And players now, unfortunately, are operating very efficiently. That, you know, a big strikeout hitter who hits a lot of home runs uh, is not inefficient. He's actually doing what he's supposed to do. Unfortunately, it doesn't make it an exciting game. So kind of that Adam Dunn style player that is now everywhere, that just takes a big cut, knows the differences. These guys know the strike zone. They will take their walk. They will take a big hard cut to do maximum damage. And if they strike out, they correctly know that a strikeout is only a little worse than a ground out. So you're better served taking a big cut at the one good pitch you're going to see. Now, that was really cool, and I love that style of baseball in, in the, Jerry, uh, the, uh, the Jeremy Giambi era, in the uh, Adam Dunn era, when there was only a handful of guys doing that, and I always lauded how great they were. Now that every young player is coming up out of the minors that way, yeah, it's a problem, and the, the game is going to have to address at the very least, the strikeout scourge, because I believe for about 12 straight years now, strikeouts have gone up and, and smashed another all-time record. At a certain point, the ball's got to be put back in play. So, I mean, do we go the route of, you know, the 87-year-old caller to WFAN to put the fences back or examine the ball? I mean, it's, do, do, you have an, do you have a specific thing or just sort of you got to look at the numbers and see what we do from here? Right. See, already at least you're using imagination. You realize something has to be done. And it's not Rob Manfred. Actually, we're in a good spot where we have a commissioner that is looking at things like, what do we do? The game does change on its own. You know, people say, don't change the game. No, the game is changing. Do you want to manage it or not? That's something that Rob Manfred frequently says. And we see that the game is changing. So it will take something fairly drastic. The mound, again, in the, I'll, just, I'll put this because I know this will make your head explode. The mound can be moved Wonderful. back. The mound can be moved back. It was moved back and forth and all over the place in the 19th century. Now, it hasn't been touched in a long time, so we think, you can't move the mound back. Well, I don't know. Maybe guys, uh, you know, in 2017 are a little larger and throw a little harder than a guy who, you know, doesn't work out at all in 1888 when they set the thing. You know, it can be moved back. The batter's box can be, can be changed slightly so pit hitters can't stand on top of the plate. The bat doesn't have to be this unbelievable weapon that they now hold. I've you know, heard you that, one of those old bats. I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've you know, heard the bat, a, yeah. Yeah, you can change lots of things, but it, I know it, it sounds drastic, but eventually, you know, we, we have a thing now where, like, the strikeouts are just out of control. The ball's not in play. And we, we are going to have to do something that would pro- probably seem drastic to most people over the next decade. And the other question is, I know he's been a former co-worker of yours, and you actually mentioned him in the book. Uh, is Joe Morgan as clueless as, at baseball as he seems? No, no. Who said, now, see, I, even the way you post that question, <laughs> no, that's terrible. No, the, uh, what, what came down to, and there's a lot of players of that generation 
that saw the sabermetric revolution happening, and again, they closed ranks. Right. We as humans, we protect what we know. And, you know, I, I understand why Joe or a lot of the, the players that I, ex-players that I work with at MLB Network, like why they would be upset about it. You know, everybody that's important to them, their dads, their coaches, uh, college coaches, minor league coaches, everyone around them uh, validated that the same way of thinking. So when some wiseacre comes in and starts telling them, oh, it's all, you're thinking of it all wrong. Here's the right way to look at it. You're going to be upset. So Joe Morgan is actually has a very nuanced baseball mind and is a delight to talk to about baseball. As long as you don't say, hey, Joe, what do you think of sabermetrics? Right, that's, right. A, that's a mistake. You, you, as long as you just talk about... You know, as long as you just talk about, hey, when do you bring in this relief pitcher? Would you trade for this guy? Who's the best third baseman in the league? All these things he has, you know, specific answers to, and he has a good logical, you know, thought process on. Um, it's just that he resists the actual name of what he thought was taking over the game. You absolutely said that in the book. Just censor that word sabermetrics, and he's, he's actually a delight to talk to about, uh, you know, strategy and stuff like that. Uh, shifting gears real quick. I know you get, I know you get asked this a thousand times probably in the last month. Well, let's make it a thousand and one. Uh, Mayweather McGregor fight. Will you order it? I'll, I will end up seeing it in some fashion. There's really, I've, I've given up. I've, I'm not, I, I can't fight it. Everyone wants it. It's going to be out there. Everyone's going to be asking me about it. I'm going to have to see it one way or another. Yes. To me, it seems uh, completely ridiculous, and uh, we're getting hyped. Uh, we, we're all getting, uh, you know, hyped about a uh, three-ring circus, so to speak. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, no, no question. I, I think these guys, like in their private moments, they can't believe their luck. I mean, here's an MMA guy that has lost a couple of fights. It's not like he's like the, the greatest fighter in history, right. but because of his charis- you know, charisma and his, the way he can run his mouth and trash talk, and the way, you know, and Floyd sitting back, he's 40 years old. He's been retired about two years. He, he can't believe that. You mean I get to come back and not fight Keith Thurman and make twice the money? Are you joking? Like, he can't believe his luck. I can't believe to see this thing, like, pick up steam after a few months that so many people outside of, you know, combat sports, because I know a lot of people in the boxing world, but people in boxing and outside of boxing, the, the question eventually came, hey, not – Hey, will Canelo fight Golovkin? It's will you know? Do you think Mayweather will fight Conor McGregor? And it's like, really, you're interested? And the answer is yes. The people are interested. <laughs> they want to see it. And these guys would be stupid to turn down fifty or a hundred million dollars or whatever they're going to make. So insane. Triple G versus Canelo is uh, you know just sort of off in the distance while while people just losing their losing everything. And it's over so this. awesome, right? It's it's so it's and that fight is so awesome for so many reasons. But people like a circus. These guys have name value. They're charismatic. It's a TV show. And again, they, they, I, I'm always in favor of fighters getting paid. They'd be crazy not to do it at this point. I mean, they would have been crazy not to push for it, but they probably they cannot believe. I think even they would be surprised uh, if they were honest with us at how it really picked up steam and how they were able to get everybody excited about this. All right, last, last, I got one, one more boxing question I had to ask you here. You had a nice little humble brag, uh, in the book about training in the same gym as, uh, Mike Tyson, uh, growing up. Did you ever spar with him one on one or is he already a prized possession sort of at that point under, under lock and key away? Oh, good God. No, he was, no, he wasn't, he wasn't hidden away. He was 18 years old. He was in the gym, but I wasn't going near that. <laughs> I mean, Mike, Mike Tyson at 18 is like the, is one of the best fighters in the history of fighting. Uh, so no, I know people would, I, I was in the gym with him every day 
and saw him train. I was out of his weight class, so it wasn't even a question, but okay. it wouldn't have been a question anyway. No, he would have killed me, man. It would have been <laughs> insane. Of course I wasn't. I an 18-year-old Mike Tyson. That guy worked hard. He refused to be hurt. And, yeah, no, there was no getting in there with him. Watched from afar. Understood. So final question here. Uh, I know you don't own the, the brainchild of Sabermetrics, so, I mean, you can't maybe speak to this exactly. But, you know, with the number crunching, and I, I, I'm not doubting its usefulness. I've talked to you. I'm, I'm slowly converting into the Church of Sabermetrics. Adding this, 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 all these numbers to a game that already has a pace of p- play problem that people outside of the game view baseball as boring. Uh, are you worried about just more piling on of this game of quote unquote nerds? That's unfair. That's unfair. But I'm just saying all of that combined to be a really boring sport. Well, how does sabermetrics lengthen the game or slow it down? I think it doesn't, but I'm just saying for the perception. So someone, let's say someone comes from a different country and uh, they, I say, this is baseball. They're already going to kind of look at it and say, well, it's not nearly as exciting as soccer for me. And uh, how is the game run? Well, it's run by all these charts and these graphs and everything. Is that a problem or am I making a bigger deal than well, it is? I think, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're kind of mixing together two issues that I, I don't think exist. So you're creating multiple, you're creating not a straw man, but a straw. Oh, that's what I do. In the city. Yes. And so, um, I, I would say as per, as to the game itself, the game has slowed down and I think it's, it is an issue. And I would say that the game does have to speed up and, you know, not uh, to, for millennials, because, you know, they have no attention span. How about we just get it to an, a level, a pace of play from the 1950s? Like when times were slow, you know, and dad came home and had a cocktail and, you know, walked home from the train station. Like all this stuff we envisioned, oh, the, the good old days, the slow old days. The baseball back then when it was the national pastime was much faster, played at a crisper pace. We can do that now. That can happen. You just need to force the players and force the umpires to enforce the rules that are already in place. That's a major a pitch issue. clock yeah. might be the thing that do it. In the major leagues, pitch clocks are coming in and it, it's by, because, because the umpires won't do it, so pitch clocks will. That will be very, very interesting. Um, I want to thank you for coming on, Mr. Kenny. Before you go, I have three quick questions to play you out. You ready? Yes. All right. How many tattoos do you have? How many what? Tattoos. Tattoos, zero. You sure? Yes, I'm sure. Okay, perfect. <laughs> All right, after a long day at the MLB Studios, what kind of beer do you relax with? I don't drink beer normally. If, if I had a choice, I would drink Guinness. Okay. All right. Uh, that's a decent selection. I'll give you that. And number three, using all of the sabermetrics numbers that are out there in the uh, atmosphere, who is the greatest player of all time? Oh, you don't have to get cute. It's still Babe Ruth. <laughs> hitting, and before you even get into his pitching. By the way, he was the top left-hander of his day. So, no, it's, it's Babe Ruth. You don't even have to dig. You already know. He's Brian Kenny, host of MLB Network, author. Did you ever think you'd be called an author in your life? I didn't have that in mind when I was taking the police, police test. No, <laughs> no I <problem>. didn't. <laughs> Actually, yes. Author, ahead of the curve, Inside Baseball's Revolution. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mr. Brian Kenny. Mr. Brian Kenny, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, Brian. That was Mr. Brian Kenny. I hope everyone enjoyed that. Remember to pick up his new book, Ahead of the Curve. Uh, there's one thing I do regret you know, not bringing up in the fact that both of our names are Brian. I thought we could have got a, maybe a good five minutes out of that. That's good content. Right? Right? That's what the Red Ticket Blues is all about. Remember, if you want to find the podcast on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google, YouTube. If you really like the show, tell a friend. 
tell the stranger, or even better, leave a review. All of those are equal, actually. And remember to follow me on Twitter, at BrianBuck13 and at RedTicketBlues. So enjoy the rest of your weekend. With all that being said, I wonder... Heroin.